Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Last week on Smart Talk, we heard from the coroner in Lycoming County who is classifying some heroin and other drug overdose deaths as homicides. The response we received in phone calls and emails about the heroin epidemic was overwhelming. It was a good example of how widespread the heroin and opioid crisis is. The Center for Rural Pennsylvania found that out firsthand recently with hearings across the state, and they continue to have hearings, and also reporting on what they have found. So we continue our conversation today on the heroin epidemic. Joining us is Republican Senator Gene Yaw, who represents several northern-tier Pennsylvania counties. He is chairman of the Center for Rural Pennsylvania. Senator Yaw, welcome to the program. Good morning. Also joining us is Jack Carroll, executive director of the Cumberland Perry Drug and Alcohol Commission. Jack, good to see you again. Good to see you, Scott. Also joining us on the phone is Potter County District Attorney Andy Watson. Uh, District Attorney Watson, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. If you have a question or comment, and we know you do after our experience of last week talking about this issue, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, I used the word epidemic, and I've heard the opioid and heroin use or addiction problem here in Pennsylvania described as a crisis. Sometimes we throw the words crisis and epidemic around a lot when maybe it doesn't reach that point. Senator Yaw, are those good words to describe what's going on right now? Oh, I uh, definitely agree with those words. And, and it's amazing to me um, what, what, what's happening in Pennsylvania. There are seven people a day dying from drug overdoses. So if you do the math times 365, that's 25, around 24, 2,500 people a year are dying from drug overdoses. Uh, there's 125 people a day in the United States die of a drug overdose. And, and, and once again, do the math, that's what, 45,000 people. Uh, I grew up during the Vietnam era, which I assume you did too. Um, you know what we during the twelve years of the Vietnam War, we lost fifty seven thousand people. We're losing forty five thousand people a year to drug overdoses. I, I I mean, you know, you know, for the Vietnam War, people were marching in the streets and burning buildings, and I think that we need to have that same fervor about the problem that we have with drugs. And when when you look at it, it's not only uh, it, it's the immediate addiction for the the people that are involved, but it's the the economic cost. It's the cost of health care. It's the cost of prisons, law enforcement. I mean, it, it's just it's astronomical is what we found out. I told you before the program, uh, we had uh, the Lycoming County coroner on uh, the prog- this program last week. And uh, I have to admit that I was a little bit surprised with the reaction we got. Uh, and a lot of uh, those calling in or emailing, uh, we're not just talking about the issue of self of itself of uh, classifying overdose deaths as homicides, but we're talking about the issue overall, which told me that the public is tuned in, that the public knows that this is a major crisis in Pennsylvania. Uh, there's no question about that. As I told you earlier, uh, during the, the the budget crisis that we've had here, we used another crisis, another crisis. Yeah. but <laughs> if, an epidemic too. It, it, yeah, if I went <laughs> if I went out and and talked to a group in public. Yeah, they'd ask some questions about the budget, but as soon as we started talking about heroin and overdoses and and uh, the response, that's what they wanted to talk about. 
Mm. Uh, I think the sad fact is that it's uh, I've had a similar experience in uh, in doing a lot of presentations within the past year and a half about the opiate epidemic. And it's rare to address a group in which there have haven't been mm. multiple people in the audience that have been personally affected by losing someone in their family or their circle of friends or struggling with somebody that has an yeah, active Jack, addiction. Jack, you would know. What is it? One, one out of every four or something like that is uh, affected by uh, the uh, drug overdose? Has somebody in their, in yeah. their family. Mm. Uh, Jack, uh, I noticed that you said uh, opioid rather than heroin. And we, we kind of have to bunch these together. Heroin gets a lot of the, the attention, mm-hmm. but as a lot of us know, and we'll talk about that, that uh, many, if not most, of the people who are dependent on heroin today uh, started with other opioids, painkillers, and other yeah. prescription drugs. Absolutely. What we know is that uh, four out of five or 80 percent of uh, new heroin users, uh, before they ever touched heroin, misused prescription opiate painkillers. Mm-hmm. I want to turn to Andy Watson, who is the district attorney in Potter County. And Potter County uh, may be, I don't know, is it the most rural county in Pennsylvania? You're, you're certainly up there when it comes to rural counties, right? I believe it's probably top three for okay, sure. Okay. Uh, we have a population of about uh, 17,000 people. We are in eighth class county. Um, so we don't have the, uh, the, the caseload or the numbers that larger metropolitan areas have. However, we are certainly not immune from this heroin epidemic. Um, a large percentage of my current caseload involves or centers around heroin, uh, not just the overdoses, not just the deliveries or the simple possessions, but also um, a concomitant uh, period of like, burglaries and thefts. Uh, we're seeing a large increase and those where people are stealing money, uh, firearms, anything of value, um, even scrap metal, to try to go and sell it, uh, trade it for heroin. And what we're seeing up here in Potter County is a lot of small-time dealers who are primarily addicts, and they actually travel to the Waynesport area uh, several times a week. And they will bring back smaller quantities of heroin where uh, down there, they can buy it for $5 per bag, and then they come back to Potter County or the surrounding counties of uh, Tioga County or McKean County, and up here, uh, they can sell it for, 20, for $20 a bag. So they are making four times the profit, but they're also supporting their own habit. Um, so in response to that, um, myself and our president judge, uh, Stephen P.B. Minor, uh, started to look at various options to combat this problem. Uh, one thing that Potter County is doing is we have initiated uh, DUI and drug treatment courts. Um, additionally, I have initiated the uh, CLEAN protocol, which is an acronym that stands for Concerned Law Enforcement Against Narcotics. Uh, that went into effect in late February of this year. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the solutions and how uh, counties in the state uh, are, are responding to the problem. But, you know, I guarantee there are people listening to this program this morning who are saying Potter County has a heroin problem. I mean, this is when you drive over the border of Potter County, it says, welcome to God's country, that, uh, you know, one of the most rural counties in the state has a heroin problem. And that probably is a microcosm. It lets people know how widespread this is, right? Absolutely. Um, No one is immune from this problem. 
Um, you look next door to neighboring counties, the, the problem's even worse. Uh, the larger population, the more heroin overdeaths, uh, excuse me, uh, overdoses or deaths you're going to have. And what's interesting about this uh, heroin is that it, it transcends all demographic boundaries and age groups. Um, we're not seeing a particular uh, age group, you know, you would normally think, well, from somewhere between 18 to maybe 25. That's not the case. Um, we're seeing uh, much older citizens uh, using uh, heroin, abusing it. Uh, we're seeing uh, o uh, overdoses, uh, various uh, demographic levels, uh, different income levels. Mm. Um, it transcends uh, the, the most impoverished to the rich. Jack Carroll, we've talked about this before, but it's uh, a, a key factor in this in that one of the big changes that we have seen is that, you know, the, the era that uh, Senator Yaw referred to, the Vietnam era, the 60s, the 70s, heroin was just an inner city problem, or at least that's where it was abused most often. Now, suburbs, rural areas, and as the district attorney said, all demographics, all uh, economic uh, levels, it's, it's, that's one of the real big stories about this. Absolutely. That's one of, the, um, one of the big elements as to why we have such a mess on our hands. The uh, supply of heroin has never been greater. The cost of that heroin has never been cheaper, and the potency has never been uh, its stronger than ever. And uh, that combination of factors, uh, when you add that to the oversupply of uh, prescription opiates, has created sort of the perfect storm for this uh, this opiate epidemic. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator, so let's go to the hearings. Uh, the, the Center for Rural Pennsylvania has had uh, several hearings over the last two years. I saw that you had another one April 1st. And, uh, yeah, and, actually, uh, uh, Andy uh, Watson was uh, one of the witnesses or I testified. I saw that he there. was, yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. what did you learn? What did you learn that really stuck out to you? Well, uh, you have to look back at the whole purpose of the uh, series of hearings was to uh, raise the awareness of the heroin problem. And we originally started off by saying in rural Pennsylvania, that was the original charge. And, you know, the way it got started is originally we were going to have one hearing here in Harrisburg. And we thought, and then we said, well, you know, if we want to talk about rural Pennsylvania, we should go out into the uh, into Pennsylvania into various parts and we did that and the more we did it the more we became attuned to exactly what uh, Andy Watson has said it's all ages all socioeconomic groups all races both genders it, it nobody is immune it could be your parents as well as one of your your kids or a sibling or anything and it's just across the board uh, and those the, the center what we try to do is uh, kind of compile the information that people give us and then uh, present that in such a way that uh, you or anybody else could read it and say okay here are some things we need to address like for example one of the things you talked about the corner who happens to be my corner and from and yeah, i heard andy County, yeah. andy mentioned Williamsport as a drug center and i i mean i all of a sudden i get the feeling you know we're, we really are in the center of this um, and one of the other things I just mentioned is that one of the things he said is that the most likely candidate for a drug overdose in my district is a white male in his 40s. So that, that would surprise people. Yeah, yeah, it really would surprise people. But what what 
the center has done, we've tried to just compile information and, and look at issues that that are repetitive that come up. One of them is the coroner's reporting. We found out that, that across the, in the 67 counties, the coroners report these things differently. And I know the Lycoming County coroner now is going to classify these as uh, drug overdoses, murders. And that has a lot of ramifications. And the DA uh, uh, there said, well, you know, th- they determine what is a murder and whether or not something's going to be prosecuted, not the coroner. So there's a little bit of issues with that. But uh, uh, th- we, we've had this thing about, uh, you know, some coroners, maybe it's a favor to somebody. They don't want to classify their friends kid's death as a drug overdose, so it's it's heart failure or something like that. Uh, th- there's no standardizing reporting uh, across the state. I think that probably overdose deaths in Pennsylvania are underreported, if I had to guess. But those are the types of things that we've tried to put this information together. Uh, we, we're working on some legislation about the uh, continuing medical education requirements. Um, there's very little uh, taught to doctors in their education process about uh, opioids and prescription drugs and pain management. Those are all issues that uh, lead into this thing. So we're working on some of those things. We've just found, I, I mean, a, a litany of small things that we hopefully people will look at and say, hey, we can address this. Yeah, District Attorney Watson used the term perfect storm. And from what you're describing, these little things seem like they add up to that perfect storm. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking about the heroin and opioid uh, epidemic here in Pennsylvania today. And uh, we'd like to hear from you. Stories to tell, questions, opinions, give us a call. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is one 800 729-7532. Our guest, Republican Senator Gene Yaw. He represents several northern-tier Pennsylvania counties. He is chair of the Center for Rural Pennsylvania. Jack Carroll is the executive director of the Cumberland Perry Drug and Alcohol Commission. And Potter County District Attorney Andy Watson is on the line with us as well. And uh, uh, let me uh, ask a question of you, District Attorney uh, Watson. You know, one of the things that has also changed, and I'm going to ask about uh, what we heard at the hearings as well, but uh, is the attitude toward heroin uh, dependency, uh, drug addiction, that it used to be thought of as just a law enforcement issue. Now, you are in law enforcement, but the, the change in thinking is that it no longer is just a law enforcement issue, that we just can't lock up uh, the people who are users or people who are selling drugs and throw away the key. Now, the drug dealers, that's one thing, but those who are using, uh, we're not viewing as much as criminals anymore, correct? That's correct. I think we need to have a broader view of what we're talking about because there's a big difference between a drug dealer and a small-time dealer who's primarily an addict. And it really is a community issue because it, it really gets down to the bare bones because it, it affects every avenue of our communities, at least here in Potter County. Um, it, it just affects uh, how the community feels uh, safe about itself. It affects our schools. It affects our churches. Um, I think one of the gentlemen had mentioned about everybody knows somebody who's overdosed. And I think that that's exactly true. I think that's a very good point. 
because uh, up here uh, I get reports every week of someone reporting uh, usage or an overdose and how it's, it's affecting the family unit, how it's affecting uh, a, a addict's children. And that's one area that I'm very, very focused on is this uh, generational impact um, that, this is, that this is having. Uh, parents are using the heroin. The uh, children are growing up to be young teenagers in high school, and they're seeing mom and dad do it, or they're, they see needles on the floor, and it really becomes a generational revolving door for us. Uh, Jack Carroll, Cumberland Perry County, and I know you're involved uh, in, you know, in contact with your colleagues around the state. Uh, you know, that change in attitude from just a law enforcement issue to a medical disease treatment issue as well, you have seen that firsthand. Kind of give us a description of how it has changed, the attitude. I think for, uh, for many years, the... Uh, the nation's policy uh, in regard to uh, drug abuse has been t heavily focused on uh, law enforcement efforts. Uh, and what we've learned is that uh, law enforcement uh, alone is, is not sufficient. Um, we're not going to be able to arrest our way or jail our way out of this problem. It is uh, a public health issue, and certainly law enforcement is part of the solution. Um, but an equal part of the solution is giving people access to uh, the, the treatment that they need to break the addiction. Uh, Senator, you mentioned uh, that part of what you, your charge was to educate uh, your colleagues in the legislature, but educate the medical community and so many other people. One of the items I saw in, your, in you know, the hearings that you've, you've held and this still is controversial to a degree, maybe not as much as it used to be, but to classify addiction as a disease. Talk about that. Uh, there's no question. Uh, uh, and that's one of the things that we found, and I think that it, it's in our reports, is that, uh, uh, you know, I think the consensus out there, at least now, is that uh, addiction is a disease. But you, you're absolutely correct. There is still a feeling that uh, it's something that you can just overcome. Uh, if you go away for 30 days and uh, you come back, you're fixed. I use the example all the time and, and to get the people. And I said, if you suffer from diabetes, you can't be sent away for 30 days and you come back and you're, you're, you're okay. You're done. And drug addiction is exactly the same. You can't send somebody. It's a lifelong problem. And that's why people like Jack and the community are very, very important because it, uh, it, 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 it just doesn't end. It, it, it has to be uh, continually uh, paid attention to, and it needs to be treated. And we need to have that. The, the thing we talk about is a warm handoff. You know, you go from one program to the next. Maybe the, um, one of the things that we found out is these short time periods, and Jack can talk about this, are really not that effective. Now, we, when you say short time, you're talking about treatment. I'm talking about a treatment program of 30 days. Right. That, uh, one of the things that, that's come about uh, that we found out is individualized treatment is the most effective. Uh, now, that may mean you know, 45 days, it might mean 90 days, it might mean six months. But in the long term, 
uh, it, it it's going to help with the crime rate and everything else. It's just how we focus our assets. Well, Jack, let's talk about that. Uh, 28 days. First of all, how did we get to that figure? It's, it's four weeks, but uh, how do we get to that figure? And it's almost universal, from what I understand, that that's not long enough, that this yeah. is not just a four-week thing, and then you're, you're, you're fine. It's a good question as to where that came from. There's no medical research that indicates that 28 days is optimum or, or 14 days or 45 days. The research indicates that it varies with the individual yeah. and what you need. And uh, inpatient care is what we're talking about. Residential care is designed for people who lack the control to stay straight or sober from one outpatient appointment to the next. So that's that's not going to be standard. Uh, I think the 28 days was a creation of uh, insurance companies and managed care and was more an issue of containing costs than anything to do with uh, treatment effectiveness. All right, well, see, that's what I was, uh, you know, when I said bingo, meaning that uh, money is always one of the issues. Um, Senator, you, all, you referred to the, the budget uh, situation. Obviously, we need more money, whether it comes from the state, whether it comes from the county, how we raise the money. Your colleagues on board with that? Well, I, I, maybe I, I'm not sure I agree with you totally about we need more money. I think we need to redirect what we already have. We have a lot of programs. One of the things that we found out in all of our hearings is we have a lot of programs out there, but our system is very fragmented. We need something. We need it brought together. Um, and and there are uh, a lot. There is a lot of money out there. Here's here's a wild thought. We, we have people come into prison, and when they're in prison, we're responsible for them, whether it's at a county level or the state level. So if somebody has a heart attack when they're in, j in jail, we're responsible. The, the citizens are responsible. We have to provide medical care to them. So m my question is, okay, when somebody comes in and they have, they're an addict, why don't we treat them more than just detox them, because obviously when they're in prison, they're detoxing. But why don't we spend more money on that person? Because in the long run, it's going to cut down on the crime rate. If we want to reduce the crime rate, uh, Andy Watson mentioned about how many uh, crimes, burglaries and robberies and things like that occur from addicts just trying to, f to feed their habit. So we've got a lot of money we're spending, and I'm not sure we're directing it in the right way. Well, how do we do that? I mean, it would seem to be something that, uh, as you are educating people, say, listen, we have a fragmented system. We need to pull everyone together. Everyone has to communicate with one another. Well, I think you're right. It's the education process, and we're early on in this thing. I mean, we started our hearings two years ago. We think that we've been really successful in getting the awareness up there and, and, and making people aware that we've got a problem. I think it's more and more accepted. Uh, we, we've talked about it in our, particularly in our caucus, and, you know, the Center for Rural Pennsylvania is bicameral as well as bipartisan. So they're both House and the Senate members and Republicans and Democrats on it. So uh, we, uh, I think, across the board are educating both houses of the legislature. Andy Watson, let me bring you in. Uh, I have no idea what Potter County's uh, budget is, but uh, has the county been spending more money because of this heroin and opioid uh, problem that you have? 
absolutely. Um, yes, there's a uh, Potter County is kind of unique because we don't have a female jail facility. Um, the county commissioners uh, have been wonderful in supporting this heroin epidemic. They have actually uh, created a women's rehabilitation center uh, approximately uh, 18 miles from where I'm located in Countersport, which is the county seat. And this rehab facility is just for women, and a large focal point of it is uh, drug and alcohol counseling. It gives us a different option for a lot of the females that we're seeing that are addicted to heroin or, or other drugs. And um, we're seeing you know, some successes with that, um, but also just in the general cost of doing daily business. Uh, my caseload increases. Um, it's not cheap to run a court system um, or to house offenders. Um, historically, I, I, I think I said this at the public hearing last week uh, with Senator Yaw, was that it, it's, it's just incredible the amount of resources that we are using to the point that the taxpayers are bearing the burden. Um, and what we're doing right now is we're, we're putting a lot of focus onto our uh, treatment courts. Um, we have uh, PCCD, which is the Pennsylvanian, Pennsylvania Commission on Crime and Delinquency Grants, that gives us funding to uh, do these treatment courts. And we are seeing a lot of success with our treatment courts. And a lot of counties are doing that now. Let's take some phone calls here. We have Ed and Marietta is on the line. Ed, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, sir. How are you morning. doing? We're doing well. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, listen, you know, we talk about last week when that gentleman was off from Luzon County, okay, there were a lot of suggestions that this was, you know, to a great degree, a moral thing, that these folks were making moral decisions, decisions, okay, to uh, use these drugs. Let's not forget how compelling these drugs are. Um, so 35 years ago, I was in a, at a dental school, okay, and I got four molars taken out for $25. They gave me a shot of morphine. It was so powerful, so compelling, okay. I felt like I took off like a Saturn IV rocket, okay, and I knew, sitting in that chair, that if I got one more shot like that, I wasn't coming back. When the animal first came out, it was synthesized by the bare aspirin people. This, this was in the early 1900s. It was legal for a while, yeah. okay. While it was legal, 10,000 doctors worldwide became addicted right away. And only because of that did it become illegal. In short, let's not forget how absolutely compelling this drug is, mm. how much it owns people's lives. In short, I question whether it's really a moral decision. And thank, lot, okay? thank you very much for your call. I mean, Jack, he is absolutely right as far as maybe that after using that needle for the first time and you're addicted, that it is not just a it's, it's obviously not an easy thing to say, OK, I'm going to stop cold turkey. Just don't work that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the disease uh, perspective has been debated for decades now. Uh, and but but clearly, um, you, you might be able to debate whether there was a moral question about somebody picking up in the first place. But once addiction occurs, it's very clear that it's a medical issue. There's a change in brain chemistry that affects um, people's behavior. Uh, and and if we, we fail to recognize that, we're... We're just going to spin our wheels in trying to address this issue. Mm-hmm. We go ahead. Yeah, say yeah, well, as Jack said, that you know, eighty percent or four out of five people start by abusing prescription drugs, and you know, the, the, the initially the, those prescriptions were completely legal and appropriate, but 
over time or whatever happens, they uh, become distorted or there's extra pills out there and you take them and probably the most of us that have things that it, we in our medicine cabinet that we've saved because we might need something sometime later and it didn't work the first time. And, and then there's some over prescription of, of drugs that, that you get hooked on them and, uh, uh, you know, heroin is the replacement for that, that feeling. We have a phone call from Danielle in Lancaster. Uh, Danielle, I understand you have a story to tell. Uh, yes. Um, I've been an addict since I was about '09. Um, I started with my prescription amphetamines, Ritalin. And, you know, I grew out of that when the doctors placed me on Vicodin for my back pain. So it was just a progression, and, you know, as my addiction progressed, the doctors continued to give me higher and higher doses of medication up until we considered fentanyl, which I turned down because of my children. But, you know, when they said, okay, well, we're not giving you this anymore, it was a history of addiction, it was very easy for me to just turn to the streets. And I think that most people end up doing that, and it's you know, the other person was correct that once you use a needle, it changes everything. The first time I did it, I knew that my life was over, pretty much. So, you know, it is a really large issue. It needs to be dealt with differently than other medical issues, even though it is a medical issue, because there's it's, it's a lot psychological as well as physical. If you don't deal with the psychological problems that, you know, got people to use in the first place, they will never get better. Most people that I've known that were addicts were victims of abuse at some some point in their life. And, you know, without dealing with the psychological effects, they can't get better. Now, you also, I understand, had a comment about the 28-day treatment program? Yes, that it doesn't. It just, just doesn't work. You know, the only people that I've known that have gotten better through rehabs have gone to six months to two year programs. I've done the I've done the detoxes. I've done the rehabs. And although while you're there, you really, really do want to get better. But once you're released back into your old environment, or even a new environment like a halfway house, but if that halfway house is in the middle of Kensington, Philadelphia, you're not going to get better. Mm. So you've been in recovery for five years now? Yes. Yeah, I've been clean for five years. I don't drink. I don't do anything anymore. So how do, how do you feel now compared to then? It's I, I look back on that point in my life, and I almost can't recognize that person anymore. But it's still an everyday struggle. You know, if something bad happens in my life, it's very easy to think, well, I know what will make me feel better. It's just a matter of knowing that. If I did that, I might feel better for about, you know, 40 seconds, but the rest of it is just a living hell. Danielle, I'm glad you called, and congratulations on your recovery. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, hearing firsthand, Jack, I'm sure you hear these stories every day, but, Senator, that's powerful because it lets people know that this is something that I'm sure within a mile of here we have uh, someone addicted to the drug. Uh, no question about it. Th- those are the t- types of things that uh, make it worthwhile when you say that, uh, you know, there are programs out there to help people. And some of the things I mean, the, the caller uh, confirmed one of the things that we've been talking about is that uh, this artificial 28 day or 30 day time period is uh, probably we need individualized treatment. I mean, that's that's one of the touchstones we found. The yeah. other thing about our call that I think is noteworthy is that. Uh, Part of her addiction was linked to a legitimate script for Vicodin that she received. 
uh, just a couple weeks ago, the Centers for Disease Control came up with new nationwide guidelines for physicians on prescribing uh, opiate painkillers. Um, and, and these guidelines exclude folks that are in palliative care or uh, cancer treatment. Um, but basically what they're trying to get physicians to do is rethink totally their approach to prescribing prescription opiates and to tr exhaust other alternatives before they begin using pain, opiate painkillers for chronic pain situations. We may have a bigger problem here than because one of the things that uh, drives hospital reimbursements uh, is patient satisfaction. And, and, and you know, when you leave, anybody that's been in a doctor's office or in the hospital, they ask you uh, on the on a scale of one to ten, what's right. your what's your pain level? Right. Well, that's very very important to the hospital for financial reasons, but you know that it almost encourages people to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna fix this person, we're gonna make them feel really good when they leave the hospital, we're gonna uh, uh, give them uh, whatever drug that that's needed out there. So. I mean, it's almost it's like this much, much larger problem. Whoever came up with this one to ten scale, I think, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe that falls into the same category as the 28-day treatment. <laughs> hey, before uh, we go on, uh, I, I want to uh, say goodbye to uh, our other guest there, Potter County District Attorney Annie Watson. I know you have a, a hearing. Where's your hearing today? Uh, my hearing is actually in uh, Galton, Pennsylvania, okay. uh, which is one of the uh, probably uh, worst areas for heroin addiction in our county. Um, so I'm heading over there uh, here in just a few minutes for a preliminary hearing that I have to attend. Okay. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining us on uh, late notice, and uh, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me, and I just want to say uh, thank you for to uh, Senator Yaw for all of his interest in rural Potter County. Um, it means a lot to us having him up here and uh, doing those public hearings, it means a lot to us. So thank you, Senator. Yeah, Andy, I, I'd also like to say, though, you know, Potter County has 17,000 people. I have one county, a whole county, has 6,800 people. So I, I, I recognize the small county problems. <laughs> You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home on for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest today, Republican Senator Gene Yall, who represents several northern-tier Pennsylvania counties, chair of the Center for Rural Pennsylvania, and Jack Carroll, executive director of the Cumberland Perry Drug and Alcohol Commission. We're talking about heroin, opioids. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, the phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Let's go to Sydney in Carlisle. Sydney, you're on the air. Hey, good morning. Thank good morning. you for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. Good to hear Danielle's report. It's always exciting to hear an overcoming of, of such a serious problem. Um, I am calling in this morning just with some thoughts about um, the fact that the rising crime rate we associate it with drug use. Uh, John Governor Kasich, John Kasich, just recently was interviewed about that very problem, rising crime rate, and he was talking in his interview about how he feels uh, the brokenness in community and family and even communities and neighborhoods have left a lot of children um, feeling distraught and disconnected and alone. There are, you know, over half the marriages in our country end up in divorce, and there's plenty of sort of common law families that divide, too. 
and he's gotten involved with some of these children that have gotten into crimes and um, has learned that many of them are dealing with a lot of emotional uh, distress, pain from relational um, breakage in their, in their families and a lack of a sense of community and families. And uh, people end up using drugs because of pain, one form or another, physical pain or emotional pain. And I believe as we begin to learn more um, about the physiological changes that take place when people are going through sort of long-term emotional pain through relational breakups, family breakups, and just the lack of a, a sense of community. Even schools are not the places that they, they used to be. They've become more sterile, more of a sterile environment. Hey, Cindy, I'm going to have our guest address what you're bringing up, okay? Sure. All right. Thank you very much for your call. You know, just what she describes, I'm sure you've heard that at the, at the hearings, but it makes it, it makes it sound like it's much more, it's much bigger than just the act of sticking a needle in your arm or taking a pill for pain that, you know, now we're talking about uh, not just a drug problem, but a family problem, an individual problem, a society problem. Well, I, I, Fair, let me turn your microphone up. That's a problem. So I don't have that. I, I think that uh, she hit on the idea, you know, which we uh, we've all talked about. In the uh, uh, one caller mentioned that uh, some people go back to or go into uh, drug use because it's uh, uh, makes you feel good for a, a short period of time. And uh, th- there's no question. One of the things that we found out about is that the family is very very important. Uh, in, in, in any type of uh, addiction recovery. Yeah, when we have an overdose death, it is not just uh, the, the person who has died uh, from the, the overdose of the drug. That whole family, friends, whole communities in some cases are, are impacted by that. Before we go back to the phone, Senator, you mentioned when Andy Watson got off the phone about uh, something they are doing in Potter County that is unique. Well, it's his clean program, I, I, which he mentioned, uh, the law enforcement, the, the attitude, it's, it really is a change in attitude. And I think, as I said, we've, we've listened to somewhere around 50 hours of presentations now with all the hearings that we've had. And, it, it, and it's been very uh, informative, but when something different comes along, you, meant, you, you notice it right away. I, I mean, when in the whole series of hearings when... Uh, the district attorney from Delaware County said that he was going to have all of uh, all the police forces in Delaware County were going to carry Narcan or Naloxone. And that was something that was different. It was at, at thinking outside the box, so to speak. And I told uh, Andy the other day uh, uh, at the hearing in uh, uh, McKean or in Bradford, um, He's thinking outside the box with this idea of, like, if you're an addict and you come to us, come to law enforcement, we'll help you. We're not going to, you know, whatever it is, we're not going to go back and we're not going to charge you. But we are looking at this with a, uh, that it is a disease and it's something that uh, treatment helps everybody. Jack, I'd like to be optimistic, <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, reason for optimism, I guess, is that. We are recognizing the problem and trying to do something about it. But when we hear the numbers, and as Senator Yall said, he thinks it's underreported, um, you know, the number of overdose deaths, and that only counts the people who, 
who have died. I mean, now that we do have Narcan, there are those who survive uh, an overdose. So can't be real optimistic about where we're heading right now, but what works? Well, it it is tough because uh, we're, we are in the midst of uh, this, this problem, uh, and it was at least a decade, if not longer, in the making. And so it's not going to be solved overnight. Right. Absolutely. Um, there, there in Cumberland County, um, uh, indications are that uh, in this calendar year, we'll probably surpass the record number of uh, drug overdose deaths that we experienced in 2015. So the numbers are still going in the wrong direction. There are a few positive developments that I think we can point to. You were talking about uh, the cost of treating addiction. Uh, one thing that has turned out to be very helpful, actually, for Pennsylvania, is the decision to uh, to implement medical assistance expansion has resulted in a greater number of Pennsylvania citizens being eligible to have medical assistance cover the cost of their substance abuse treatment. Uh, now, People who fall between 100% and 138% of the federal poverty level are outright eligible for medical assistance. A lot of those folks used to rely on county funding to cover the cost of their treatment. Usually, at this point in our fiscal year, we run through a, a July 1 through June 30th fiscal year, I've been forced to place a moratorium on placements to rehab and halfway house treatment because I've exhausted the cap funding that we have. Okay, so what do you do? Well, in those cases, the best we can do is uh, detox somebody and link them up with intensive outpatient and re recovery support services. The good news for me this year is that because of medical assistance expansion, I continue to have funding for those who don't qualify for medical assistance to send them to rehab. So my point is that medical assistance expansion has expanded the resources available to cover um, cover substance abuse treatment. All right, let's take some uh, more phone calls here. We have uh, Gary in Juniata County. Gary, you're on the air. Hello, Gary. All right, I knew Gary was on the line for a while. He probably uh, got busy. Let's uh, take a few more phone calls here. Let's go to Vince in Lebanon. Vince, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call, yes, everyone. Um, just a comment, and maybe you can uh, comment on it. Uh, with the, uh, the big push to decriminalize marijuana and also state legislation just uh, coming up that, uh, that would uh, bring about medical marijuana, it used to be called the gateway drug. And, and from what everyone's saying now, it, it seems like the uh, opioids or that. Is that true? And maybe you can comment on that. All Thank right. you. Thank you very much for your call. The medical marijuana issue and uh, decriminalization, in a way, are kind of two different issues. So, absolutely. It's two different two different yeah. questions. But the point he, he's making is, uh, you know, we used to look at marijuana as a gateway drug um, for recreational use, I should say. Uh, and from what he's saying is that it now sounds like opioids, like the painkillers, are the gateway drug. Is marijuana still a gateway? I, absolutely. I, the research on that is very clear that there, 
There historically have been three gateway substances for young people, tobacco, alcohol, marijuana. If a young person uses any one of the three, they're much more likely to go on and use the other two. If they use all three, they're more likely to move on into other kinds of drug use, whether it's inhalant use, uh, stimulants, cocaine, methamphetamine, uh, or abuse, prescription opiates, and heroin. So now, having said that, it is true that the oversupply of prescription painkillers and the ready, ready access that young people have to them have created another problem for us. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the things, though, about medical marijuana, which I think that the misunderstanding is we, we never should have called it marijuana. If it were called, uh, you know, medical something else, it, nobody would even be yeah, questioning not, it. not smoking be, it. Because the, the medical marijuana, it just happens to be an extract of the plant. And in what that you, you cannot get high off of it. So there's no reason to take this that you think you're going to have some euphoric feeling from it. Uh, the primary treatment is to treat nausea. And in some cases, it's, it's said that it helps with seizures. And that's it. All right, let's take another phone call here from Tracy in Newport. Tracy, you're on the air. Good morning. My question has more so to do with how our patients that are not qualified for palliative care, do not, are not going through any type of chemotherapy, but have medical conditions that cause chronic pain. How are they going to receive the medication that's required? Thank Personally, you. I am 40. I have multiple chronic conditions that cause widespread pain, and I am not getting any type of pain management that's worth anything due to all these changes. Mm. Hey, thank you very much for your call. Good question. I mean, there are people who, uh, many more people who legitimately need those painkillers. It's it's a very good question, and and I don't have a medical degree, so I'm not sure I'm the best qualified. But uh, I do know that uh, right now the medical community is challenged with balancing the caller's uh, medical issues, legitimate medical issues, with the fact that um, there are so many people that are uh, overdosing not just on heroin, but on prescription opiates. Um, It's right of us to focus on the number of deaths linked to heroin, but there's even more deaths, almost twice as many deaths linked to prescription opiate painkillers. And so we can't ignore that as well. And so the doctor's uh, charge is to do no harm, uh, and and so they need to uh, exhaust non-addictive options before resorting to using prescription opiates. One of the things that we've looked into legislatively is that in some states do this is require certain uh, certain uh, pain management courses in the medical education. And we intend to probably introduce legislation along those lines here in Pennsylvania. Um, it, it's just been something I know early on in the hearings that we had uh, people were telling us that veterinarians receive more training in pain management than medical doctors. Uh, you know, so the whole idea of like it, it making pain management part of the continuing medical education requirement, 
uh, seems to be a reasonable idea, and I think that, that that's something that uh, uh, the primary preliminary indications are that medical society will support that. I think that's a terrific idea. I think that uh, part of the training as well, for those uh, patients who do need prescription opiate painkillers, part of the physician's responsibility is then to monitor that patient, uh, monitor their uh, use, uh, monitor the progress of their pain, uh, and be alert to the potential that that person may become addicted to the very medication that's helping them manage their pain. Let's take a call from Peter in Harrisburg. Peter, you're on the air. Thank you very much. Uh, this is a very serious problem, whether it is Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, <clears throat> Emporium, or any other place in Pennsylvania. And this is going to cost money to take care of this, at least uh, at least to help move it along, to save lives, and lives are very important. How will the good senator and others uh, help put the money together in order to get this matter properly addressed so that uh, the needs can be met? I'll uh, hang up and take the answer off air. Steve, uh, thank you very much for your question. Peter, thank you very much for your call. Yeah. Uh, well, as I said earlier, I, I think that we have there's a lot of money out there. We need to redirect it in, in some fashion. And I, it, here's another one, thought that I we've had. Um, there are some pilot programs right now. There is a drug out there called Vivitrol. Vivitrol is a longer uh, uh, acting form of naloxone. When you have Vivitrol in your system, you can't get high on opiates. So. Uh, it, it, but the problem with it is when the, that's in your system or the shots that uh, are required for that are very expensive. Uh, somewhere, I, I don't know, last I heard is around $800 a shot, but it's once a month. But if you give somebody, you're spending $800 once a month to keep them off of the opioids and perhaps redirect them into a more useful uh, society uh, standard isn't that helpful and in the long run it might be cheaper and a better expenditure of money than putting them in prison and spending $35,000 a year to keep somebody in prison. I, I agree with Senator. Uh, the, the, uh, it's well documented that untreated addiction does not just disappear. Yeah. It shows itself as a cost driver all throughout our society and one of the biggest places is in the cost of our correction system. There is exciting potential uh, for medications like Vivitrol, which yeah. actually is naltrexone, yeah. a little bit different from naloxone. Uh, and, but if you can be successful in arresting somebody's addiction, um, you're going to also save in the long run because that person won't need to cycle through detox and rehab multiple times. Well, gentlemen, uh, obviously a, a huge problem. And Senator, I wish we had more time to talk about the budget implications of this, but uh, we're, we're running out of time. I want to thank both of you for uh, being with us today, and uh, we'll continue to be on top of this issue and uh, bring information to uh, the people of Pennsylvania. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, uh, WITS Smart Talk will be conducting a series of political debates. Our very first one is... Uh, 
uh, tomorrow, the 15th Senatorial District, the two Republican candidates, uh, WITF, Smart Talk, and uh, also the Harrisburg Regional Chamber and Capital Region Regional Economic Development uh, Corporation uh, co-partnering or partnering with this. So that's tomorrow, our first uh, senatorial debate tomorrow on Smart Talk.